So Paul would conceive of this interim between the death of Christ and his return um, as the Passover week. Um, and so that's what we're in. And, and what is good about it is because it's a communal thing um, and it is communal, it is a society that is free of corruption. Let us keep the festival. Yes. The, let us keep the festival is let us celebrate the Feast of Unleavened Bread right. that follows Passover. Right. So there's okay. an in-gathering. There is this, um, it's, a, it's a communal sort of a celebration, and yet it is one that is free of the social corruption that we've been talking about. And it is affected by the Passover lamb. Welcome, everyone, to the Faith Recovery Podcast, and we are seeking to recover faith by recovering the faith. We're in this long series called According to Scripture. We're going back to the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, looking at those stories and those images there and trying to find the gospel in them. Yeah, ideally. Ideally, it would be 39 episodes. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs> For all the books of the Old Testament. Yeah. Today's episode is called Let Us Keep the Feast. And our thesis... Oh, by the way, I'm Kent. Oh, yeah, I remember. Yeah, I'm Nathan. Well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and the thesis today is the Passover feast as living history pointing to our place as an Exodus community. Mm, beautiful. Gorgeous. The Love episode it. synopsis for the day is this. The details of the Passover sacrifice point to Christ, who is called the Lamb of God. The observance of the Passover feast is realized in our experience of the redeemed community. Okay, so today we'll be looking at Exodus and Joshua and John and 1 Corinthians and trying to put all this together. How does uh, the Passover feast in the Old Testament relate to being a Christian believing in Jesus today? Yeah, that's a good question. I guess we should go back to the beginning, huh? Yeah. You want to you wanna give us some radio voice on this uh, Exodus 12 <laughs> Exodus stuff? Exodus 12. Now, how, how much would you like for me to read? Oh, man, I'm afraid it's so going to be a bit. Yeah, let's go... All right. Let's go 12, All right. 3 through, etc. through 11. Verses 3 through 11. Well, we might as well go on down through 13, then we'll stop. Okay. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbor, having taken into account the number of people there are. You are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. The animals you choose must be year-old males without defect, and you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month, when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. That same night, they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire, along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Do not eat the meat raw or boiled in water, but roast it over a fire with the head, legs, and internal organs. At this point, our readers, our listeners are yeah. thinking, what mm. in the world have we gotten ourselves yum, into? Yum, yum. <laughs> Do not leave any of it till morning. If some is left till morning, you must burn it. This is how you are to eat it. With your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The, the blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. Mm, mm, 
Okay, so that's the Passover. I guess we need to... I'm going to read just a little farther, if that's okay. Sure. Yeah, okay. So just a little farther. This is the day you are to commemorate for the generations to come. You shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. For seven days you are to eat bread made without yeast. On the first day, remove the yeast from your houses. For whoever eats anything with yeast in it from the first day through the seventh must be cut off from Israel. On the first day, hold a sacred assembly and another one on the seventh day. Do no work at all on these days except to prepare food for everyone to eat. That is all you may do. All right, we'll stop there. Um, good stuff. <clears throat> so, you ever kept a Passover? You ever done, no, you ever I, done Passover well, feast? I, I may have participated in one. It, it's been a long time. Yeah. Well, we did. We did the whole Megillah. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, we had some people leave the church over that one, which is, you know, that's not unusual. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, we, uh, I mean, we did the actual, like, get a lamb, keep it, kill it, skin uh -huh. it. We didn't leave the guts inside because that just didn't seem palatable, but we did roast it over fire. And then we had a whole meal followed by an actual Paschal celebration. Uh, the Seder, I guess, is the script or whatever it's not the script what's the script called anyway uh it's the celebration but it's this the liturgy mm -hmm. i guess we would call it of the passover that's kind of a cool thing um but it, i don't know if everybody fully appreciates you know like the the people that left over us <laughs> slaughtering this lamb in the backyard of the church which you know i mean it is a little crazy uh, you know, it's just like, if they're willing to do that, what else are they willing to do? Uh -huh. And I remember, you know, the, the guy was, uh, it was a couple and the guy was a friend and, you know, he's explaining, Hey, you know, my wife's just not going to come there anymore. And that's like, that's okay. And, I, and I'm like, uh, well, does she eat meat? Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so not exactly, you know, pe people aren't super consistent in their, um, aversions, I guess, but yeah, uh, most most people like our, you know, we like our meat under cellophane. Uh -huh. You know, it's just, this is just a, a substance. It's protein. It's not uh, formerly, you know, it's not the muscles from an animal. Right. Um, but it is actually the muscles from an animal. And uh, we're eating them, and, and so maybe people should get used to that idea. But for Israel and for people previous to this time, that it wasn't something you wondered about, you know. Right. That, that little lamb out there, you know yesterday is on the plate today and that's how it is yeah. um but this is this is a step further you have to move it into your house for 10 or for four days i don't know that to me that was <clears throat> it's striking mm -hmm. because it's like on the you know on the 10th day of the month select a lamb move it into your house <laughs> you take know care, take care of them <clears throat> until the 14th day of the month exactly yeah mm -hmm. so there's a there's this uh, waiting period of um, probably ex inspecting the lamb, making sure that it's healthy and that it's got all the right, you know, it's spotless and all this this stuff about it. Um, and then you're supposed to slaughter it. So, you know, uh, if you have kids in the home and stuff, they've had an opportunity to name him and uh, turn him into a pet. Uh -huh. um, there's something about that that maybe we don't think about. Just the gory details of that because, you know, my friend, uh, he was, you know, Uriah, we need to have him on the show sometime, man. 
he's so entertaining and uh, <laughs> but uh he he was the one that he was in charge of getting the lamb and so he would you know he'd find it from a local farmer or something that he would get it like you know four days before the passover mm-hmm. and that thing was like staked in his yard and his you know his son's feeding it and everything and so <laughs> he's like you know and, and uh his son's really tender-hearted guy i would say you know and, and loves animals a lot so it wasn't i don't think it was cruel to him because he knew it was what was coming but he, he did get a little bit attached mm-hmm. to the critter um <clears throat> so and and maybe that's that's a part of it i don't you know this this thing's supposed to be slaughtered in place of the firstborn son so maybe there's supposed to be a little attachment a little pity associated with it uh-huh. so that's one detail uh, i'm going to point out about this observance is every year you do this right um, that he slaughtered at twilight, uh, that the lamb is roasted with fire, can't break any of his bones. And I don't remember where that's said, but, um, I don't think it's in this immediate context, but that he's roasted whole, mm-hmm. you know, consumed whole in haste that, um, as you know, and I guess we should probably continue on to the Passover, but that, you know, they would, this was a part of the initial one was a part of a, ritual i guess you would call it that exempted israel from this judgment with the death of the firstborn throughout egypt right and so they're supposed to put the blood of this lamb on the around their door the lintel in the doorposts and then they're supposed to be inside the house eating while this is going on so let's say 6 p.m you slaughter the lamb you really, it takes a long time to cook a whole lamb, by the way, over the fire. So you're probably cooking till around 11 p.m. Hmm. Uh, so you're eating him around midnight and, you know, everything that goes with unleavened bread is a part of this observance as is prescribed there. Um, <clears throat> and um, so around midnight. So and around that time, they're eating the lamb. And around that time, at, and the first Passover, as the story goes, the, you know, this, this angel, this judgment angel comes through, strikes down firstborn in, e- in Egypt, and um, the, the Israelites are safe in their, in their homes. Mm-hmm. So, um, so there's, that's the, I guess that's the recap. Move the lamb in for four days, slaughter him at 6 p.m., eat him at midnight with unleavened bread, after that, you celebrate this Feast of Unleavened Bread for seven days. So the Passover is the first Unleavened Bread celebration, followed by, you know, an additional six days of Unleavened Bread. The Passover Feast is a Sabbath rest. So there's a Passover Feast, and then mm-hmm. there's the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And the Passover mm-hmm. Feast is the first day of the week Right. Uh, feasting the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Right, yeah. And then you have another Sabbath after that. So if you're keeping, if you're a Jew and you're keeping the Seventh-day Sabbaths, you could get four Sabbaths within an eight-day period. Um, you know, suppose if Passover is, starts at 6 p.m. Friday or Thursday night, Friday's a Passover, Saturday's a Passover, Sunday, Unleavened Bread, you know, um, and then... The following, what, Friday or Thursday is another Sabbath, you know, so Friday's the Sabbath, Saturday's the Sabbath, Sunday through 
what Thursday or whatever. These days is a Sabbath. Well, because you're not you're not supposed to do any work on the first day of the Passover, and that's based on the lunar cycle, not on a weekly, Mm -hmm. you know, seven day cycle. So, you know, on the tenth day of the month, if you're in, if Nissan ten is it's Friday that year, you have two Sabbaths in a row. Okay, understand? Like so. And, and some people wonder, you know, uh, that would put Jesus, if Jesus were to have been uh, crucified on a Thursday, then he would have, <clears throat> he would have been in the grave Friday, Saturday, ris, risen Sunday. That would have been a, like a proper three days as uh-huh. opposed to, um, you know, a part of each of those days. So, right. That's that's neither here nor there. But all that to say, sometimes when we see in in the Gospels that you know a Sabbath was coming or the next day was Sabbath, we know that that Jesus uh, died on the eve of a Sabbath because uh, they had to kind of bury him in hurriedly before uh-huh. that evening. But it might have been a Thursday night. Or it might have been a Friday night. It might have been a Thursday night. Yeah. So that's maybe just a little trivia for you. Um, but all that to say, so that's a part of the celebration that there's a Sabbath in there. An extra Sabbath in two in in this Passover celebration. So the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread are kind of a unified feast. Um, and then, you know, that's that's there's that final Sabbath uh, that culminates. It's kind of the the close of that feast. Okay. Uh, all of that's important, I think, when we get to the um, significance of it. So <clears throat> Jesus, as you probably, as you mentioned, is called the Lamb of God, and that's, I think, largely associated with his feast. Um, and, and we often talk about the Lamb as being a purifying, like his death as being a purifying sort of a thing. And, uh, and I think what's introduced in the Passover is, is a different kind of purification. So in, under the temple... Under the temple system, so, you know, you bring a lamb, you've committed to sin, you bring a sin offering, and this, you know, this this lamb is sacrificed in your stead. And we could say, well, then, you know, that sacrifice is washed away your sins. In, in the case of this Passover festival, the issue doesn't seem to be with legal guilt. It's not the guilt of the Israelites being put on right. the lamb. Right, and and it's not even a judgment over legal guilt. Like, I mean, God says he's going to judge the gods of Egypt, right? But it's not so much like these people are morally dirty and um, I'm going to judge them because I'm offended by their sexual promiscuity and their alcoholism. And, you know, however, in a, with us, be, us being the heirs of a Puritan, version of the Christian system, we tend to think in terms of moral dirt. Mm-hmm. And yet it seems clear that moral dirt isn't the reason for this sacrifice. But it is it is about um, removing a cultural and societal pollution. The um, the presence, the influence of the Egyptian people, their power and control over Israel is what's being dealt with here. Um, and so it's it's a cleansing, but it's a very practical, and it, and it goes a lot with what we, we've talked about in terms of being saved from the elementary principles of the world. 
And uh, if you remember a lot of those conversations, we talked about how legal guilt, and, and Paul talks about this, that legal guilt didn't really begin proper until Moses gives the law on Sinai. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you know, God's not judging anybody over legal guilt because there's no law given, right? Mm-hmm. But, but there are dynamics, there's a, there's a polluting dynamic in any way. And, and I think that that pollution has a lot to do with uh, and is typified by this substance called yeast, right? If you're an ancient, if you're a person in the ancient world, okay, and um, you leave, you have some dough that you've, say you're, you know, a housewife or whatever, and you've got this kneading board um, and you've stirred up, you know, some flour and water and you've mixed it into a dough and, and you just set it out there. It's the Middle East, you know, it's Egypt, it's hot, right? And uh, and you turn your back on that and you come back the next day. It's twice as big as it was. Right. You know, you know there's something in that there dough. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. And, and But you don't know what it is. You know that it's, um, <clears throat> it's invisible mm-hmm. and it spreads. Mm-hmm. And uh, so... You decide, you know, hey, that that actually made that bread a lot better, mm-hmm. uh, and so you save back half of the dough and you mix it into the next batch, and it, you realize, hey, this that next batch that that didn't have any yeast, it's now got all the yeast in it, you know, and and so on, and so there's something that's invisible, and it spreads, mm-hmm. right, and and in an addition, it makes things seem bigger, even though there's no more actual mass. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. So those are some of the elements of this thing. We don't know what it is. We call it yeast, but or whatever they called it. Right. It's a leavening. Um, and and as you begin to think about how we influence one another, right? Peer pressure. So all it takes is one. What we say, one bad apple to spoil the whole bunch. Yeah. yeah. So spoilage, you could call yeast, right? In uh-huh. it, but obviously that's a more negative thing. Right. But there's something about this. Um, I think the slaughtering of the lamb, the judgment on Egypt, and the um, this unleavening, this koshering, as they called it. So if you were in an Israelite household, especially a very observant one, let's say in Jesus' day. So fast forward, you know, 1,400 years. And these people have learned their lesson. You know, we didn't keep the law. We went into exile. We're back now. We're not going to make that mistake again. They're pretty conscientious. Um, and so, it, and if you look, even now, uh, Orthodox Jewish practice, koshering is pretty, pretty thorough. Like, if you have certain implements, you can wash under boiling water or something. Um, other things, things that have cracks and divots and stuff like that, you have to superheat. Like, your pots and pans all have to be basically heated to glowing hot. Um, that's all a part of this this cleansing. So they're pretty serious about get rid of the yeast. It's not like, you know, throw out your packets of Fleischmann's, mm-hmm. you know. This is like, because yeast is something that you don't buy at a store. It is in your environment. Mm-hmm. And um, so it takes, a, it takes work to clean it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when we think about sin as something that's not a violation of, of rules, but something corrupting that's in our environment that takes some real scrubbing to get rid of, mm-hmm. then that's the picture that we're dealing with with Passover. So, um, yeah, 
that's the, that's the background. So Israel's being being cleansed, but not from necessarily their personal guilt, but from the influence, the sinful influence of being in a pagan society, which comes up, you know, a later as they get out to the wilderness, you start to see. And they're being cleansed the by their uh, preparations, but the real cleansing is their deliverance out of that society. Right. 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 The, the right. preparations symbolize, right? Yes. What God is about to do, which is liberate them from the corrupt society. Right. Right. And corrupting. And the corrupt and corrupting society. Right. So when we see, you know, when, when we think of Jesus as being the Lamb of God and associated with the Passover Lamb, and that's fair to think that, um, you know, and, and... But what does it mean? Right. What does it mean? Uh, oftentimes we think of Jesus as the Lamb of God and we associate him with the Levitical system in that he's paid the penalty for our legal infractions, you know, he's the sin offering. So, you know, in the Levitical system, there's this prescribed sin offering as you're bringing this year old male, you uh -huh. know, to, to be sacrificed in your stead. You're confessing your legal guilt and, and your culpability through that. And that there's a quote unquote cleansing through that. So whether it's the atonement sacrifice and, you know, there's two, goats there but you know the word for lamb could be a, a sheep or a goat and and you can see in passover so there's this animal this innocent animal that's paying the price for what you've done whether it's in the atonement or whether it's in these periodic sin offerings guilt offerings you know it's like a sin offering and a guilt offering you know it's like uh there there is this idea of of moral cleansing and cleansing of one's conscience in the Jewish Levitical system, but this Passover sacrifice predates that. That there's an issue that is that is uh, deeper, more fundamental, and that has to do, and it's depicted by yeast. So that there's a corrupting influence in the society, and that it is through the sacrifice of this Passover lamb that that God is removing that or separating his people from that influence. So there's a cleansing, but it's not a moral cleansing. It's not about guilt. It is about that. It's separating from that influence. So when we say Jesus is the lamb of God, what we have to understand is, is that his sacrifice um, creates a rift between us and our society, whatever we were in before. Okay. Now that makes me think about John the Baptist in John 1 saying, mm -hmm. Behold the Lamb of God who does what? Who takes away the sin of the world. Exactly. Yeah. Is it does he take away the guilt of the world, the world's guilt, or does he take away the world's sin from his people? <laughs> right. Right, right. It, 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 it strikes me right now that he didn't say the Lamb of God who takes away your sins. Right. He said the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Yeah. As if to say, you are not the world. God is God is taking away the sin of the world out there. Right. That world out there. Yes. He's removing it from you or removing you from it. Amen. Hallelujah. Yeah. Yes. Because you think, I mean, here's the thing is, is that as soon as, and this is the problem every time each of these deliverances happens, and we mentioned, so Noah, man, he's set free from the world, right? The sin of the world. Mm -hmm. 
right? There's just this little matter of a big global flood or whatever, you know, um, that destroys everyone around him. And now he is, he's been cleansed from the sin of the world. Um, and yet he brings the world out off the, off the ark with him, plants a vineyard, gets drunk, you know, Ham does whatever it was that he did. And then, um, so Israel, you know, they're set free from Egypt, but when they, when they cross the Red Sea and they're over there, they're just immediately complaining, I guess, before they even cross the Red Sea, they bring with them, you know, this longing to go back to Egypt, that this deliverance is, um, it is only a, a partial and it is, it is in symbol, um, for what's coming and what's coming with Jesus, you know, it's like what went wrong with the flood was, is that the mortality rate, you know, wasn't at a hundred percent. Um, but through Christ, when, when, a, a, you know, Peter equates and, and, and so does, uh, well, Peter makes the flood kind of a similitude of baptism. Right. And what does Paul say about baptism? You died and you were buried. So, Really, the you know the only thing wrong with the flood was is that eight people survived it. <laughs> you know, the the God's not making that same mistake again with the cross. Hundred percent mortality rate. Everybody has to die to come through it. And same with this this Passover is that we're not just being set free from one society, one people group, but it is the very underpinning it's the things that make all societies work that's what we're set free from through the sacrifice of christ that the cross repudiates um pagan society and religious society you know that that why did the nations rage and the people israel imagine a vain thing you know uh that's the apostles are like and, and so in this very city, as they're praying in Acts 4, in this very city that they're, you know, Herod and, and the, the priest conspired against Christ. So the religious world, and I'm talking about your, you know, your grandma might have been a great person, but if you're a Christian because of your grandma, you need to die to grandma. Uh -huh. You know, you might have come from a wonderfully nourishing and nurturing religious tradition, but you have to repudiate and die to your connection to them, your allegiance to them. And on the other side, find your own. I mean, this is the gospel calls to us to this liberation from this world because the world system is, is under judgment. And so that's, that's what we're being called away from. Um, and Jesus, that's what Jesus death is about is, he died um, not just as some sort of Levitical sacrifice, but I think as, as an existential sacrifice, um, as, as a metaphysical sacrifice, as, um, as a death to the mechanics of this world. And so those things are present. You know, they cross from one generation to another, they immediately are activated. If you do something because your dad did it, you have to repent of that is, I guess what I'm saying. It's not so much that they can't influence you, but it, we have to be critical of it. We have to be aware. Our allegiance has to be for God alone, uh, or we're going to fall back into those old systems. So 
Um, and you might say, well, I might be making too much of that or whatever. But, uh, you know, in Joshua 5, Israel has been in the wilderness and uh, they haven't been keeping the feast partially because they probably only had so many livestock and, um, you know, there's some practical considerations. You're wandering around out there. Um, you've only got manna, I guess it wouldn't have been leavened, but whatever was going on with them, uh, they hadn't circumcised their kids. So there's this unfortunate adult circumcision that has to take place. Um, so there's kind of this recommitment to the things that made Israel distinctively Israel coming out of the wilderness. You know, that whole generation that came out of Egypt died again. There's this kind of scrubbing away of Egypt. Um, and so in Joshua 5, um, they, they've been uh, circumcised again or, you know, that the, they'd recommitted themselves to circumcision, circumcision. So this next generation, you know, flint knives, I'm telling you, <laughs> we don't know anything about commitment. Um, and uh, so there's a very graphic depiction of this rolling away of the skin, the foreskin. Okay, apparently circumcision, um, you you roll it away. When, it, when the Lord right. said to Joshua, "Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you," that's an allusion to the uh, the physical act of circumcision. Yeah, and the place Gilgal, I guess it means roll, or it sounds like roll. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Go ahead in verse ten, I guess. On the evening of the fourteenth day of the month, while camped at Gilgal. On the plains of Jericho, the Israelites celebrated the Passover. The day after the Passover, that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land, unleavened bread and roasted grain. The manna stopped the day after they ate this food from the land. There was no longer any manna for the Israelites, but that year they ate the produce of Canaan. Yeah, good stuff. So there's this uh, commitment to the Passover, but again, there, it is this in context of cutting away the influence uh, of their old society. Mm -hmm. So the, the dispersions, this reproach that um, one society casts on another. So think about the racial divide in America. Um, now, or whatever you want to, but any any time where there's some sort of a a dominant people who have um, subjugated a, a a minority or a marginalized people, okay, and there tends to be this this disdain for that marginalized people, this reproach. Now we could internalize that. You know, I can define myself in terms of what that other group did and begin to see myself as a part of a victimized group. Or I can look to God for my, um, my significance, my importance. And I think it's to Romans 8, you know, this, this idea of who will bring a charge against God's elect. You know, how rooted can we be in what he says about us mm -hmm. or are we going to let ourselves be defined by our racial ethnic history our background are we going to see ourselves as repressed and disdained or are we going to stand tall um cleansed of 
of that identity, you know, and, and I think that that's part of being set free from the world, from the sin of the world. Uh, part of it is that it is the taking up of a new identity. Now, for Israel, Israel, it was as a new corporate entity, uh, a new nation, and, and for us it is as well, but it is as individuals being called into this nation. So um, I, I think there's a reason that circumcision was part of the covenant, and it is because it is, as the name suggests, a circular cut. Um, and so where Paul would say, you are circumcised with the circumcision of Christ through baptism, that is um, not, a, not, you know, washing away the flesh, but it is a... Um, an appeal to God a, for a good conscience? Uh, well, that's First Peter 3, oh, but this is talking Paul. about that, yeah, he says... When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh. So he's speaking to, to uh, Gentiles, right? He's in Colossians 3. Colossians 2, 13. Okay. Uh, well, let's let's back up a little bit. In uh, 11. Now, again, Paul had this ongoing uh, struggle with the Judaizers. The Judaizers would come. They would say, hey, you Gentiles, thanks for following our God. By the way, I brought a knife. Um, you know, and so there's this, this, this concern and... and you know, uh, hermeneutically, I would say that they had a point. If you read Genesis 17, it's like, look, if you're going to be in this covenant, you've got to go through this elective surgery. If you don't go through it, you're not part of the covenant. Right. And and so Paul is saying, look, you don't need to go through the elective surgery because that that was a symbol of the real circumcision. Mm-hmm. And so he says that in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self ruled by the flesh. So not just this little, you know, bit of skin, but your whole flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. So Christ is is doing a circular cut around your whole self. He's not leaving any area that is not cut off. And I think sometimes we want to retain a little dangler. You know, we want a connection to our past and say, well, yeah, I'm, I'm a Christian, but I'm also from this group and I'm this kind of Christian, you know, and oh my gosh, that is like the antithesis. That's, that's a refusal. You know, it's like, Jesus, I need you to back off with that knife. You know, he says, having been buried with him in baptism, how was the, how were we circumcised by Christ? By being buried, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Where do we get that faith? The gospel, right? Uh, and, and so baptism is this application of this sonship faith, this first step saying, look, I'm going to be dunked in water. That's immaterial, really. I mean, it's it's a part of it, but what's really going on is, is I'm saying I'm dying to my society and I'm being raised to have one allegiance. Mm-hmm. And so he says, when you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of legal indebtedness. That is that thing from Moses, which also stood against us and condemned us. He's taken it away, nailing it to the cross having disarmed the powers and authorities. So that's that cut, being cut off from, from the thing that was behind Egypt. Egypt is just one manifestation of this deeper influence. And, and as the powers and authorities, 
right? And he made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them by the cross. Circumcision in the Christian system is much more severe in the sense that it is a cutting away of the whole self from its attachments to the world. And so Passover, as we see Passover, Jesus is our Passover. He is the, it was through his sacrifice that we have been delivered, not from one nation um, or from a, a set of habits morally. I, you know, I, I think sometimes people who are raised in the church have a harder time appreciating what they were saved from. They live relatively moral lives. Things kind of went on as they were after they got baptized or whatever. And so it's hard for them to see that. But I, I think if we understand that baptism and we tell somebody that baptism is supposed to be your commitment to die to the systems of this world. As a child, you are you have allegiance to the systems of this world. If you didn't, it would be total chaos, right? Like coercion and manipulation better work on you or you're going to be in juvie. You know, um, but baptism, I think for somebody raised in church is going to, it ought to be your bar mitzvah, your bat mitzvah. It's saying, you know, Hey mom and dad, I'm dying to you. You can spank me until I die because <laughs> I'm following Jesus. You know what I'm saying? Ground me from now on, chain me to the wall. If what, you know, what Jesus is calling me to do, you know, it goes against what you want me to do. Do what you must, mm -hmm. but I am I'm no longer beholden. And are you ready for that? You know, I, I think that there's a call. So everybody, you know, your preacher, your mom, your dad, it doesn't matter how great, how wonderful, how much you admire them. If you can't find that watershed moment where you say, though none go with me, still I will follow if this whole church goes off into heresy, if my parents lose their faith, if they go off into something weird, I, you know, I'm my responsibility is to Christ. I'm going to attend to him. I'm going to learn how to hear his voice from this moment on, though none go with me. Still, I will follow. That has to be, that's the assumed, I think, in every member of realized Israel that you've gone through that kind of circumcision and that. You've been through that kind of Passover. Um, and so Paul understands the Christian life then. So let's say my acceptance of Christ's sacrifice is analogous to my Passover feast, <laughs> you know, that I've been buried. By the way, I, you know, I, Isaiah equates burial with this going into your room for Passover. Um, for those who have the hope that we are escaping the world through moving into our tombs, our graves, uh, and we can go farther with that. But Jesus is in his, you know, he, he moved inside after his Passover, right? Mm -hmm. he, is, he is now within a room. Um, and Isaiah says, go, go, my people, into your rooms. Wait until, you know, this, the wrath has passed over, um, and, and then you'll be brought forth. Mm -hmm. So the, they're all wrapped up in this and connected with it. But for us, as, as we conceive of the Christian life going forward, we've, we've accepted this deliverance. We have been scrubbed of the sin of the world. 
the world's system, right? Mm-hmm. How do we live? How do we conceive of our life? It is as the that feast of unleavened bread. That's the way we live. The feast that followed Passover. Right. Okay. Yeah. So uh, in 1 Corinthians 5, there's this um, guy, right? And he's in the church. And here's the thing is that in the church, um, these systems can try to take hold again. And we have to be very vigilant. And that's, I think that's keeping the feast of the unleavened bread is that we are being vigilant over the return of these dynamics in this new society. As we're living with each other, we have this potential to corrupt one another again. Um, say First John, or in, I think it was Third John, uh, where he talks about Diotrephes, who is a man who loves to have preeminence. He's somebody who's seen a group of people um, and he can wield power over them. And all of a sudden, here we are again. Okay, now right? in, 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 in Exodus, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, are you saying all, that the meaning even in, for Israel, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the meaning of that feast was to uh, teach them to ensure that the corruption of Egypt does not infiltrate their, their midst? Sure. They've yeah. been rescued from Egypt, but it can come back. They can go back to slavery. And right. the Feast of Unleavened Bread is there to teach them to keep unleavened. Yeah. To remain unleavened. Yeah. By and the corruption. Yeah. They clearly them. didn't, but yeah. That's, that's what it's supposed to do. And, and of course, it, be, it just becomes a symbol and, you know, a religious ritual, something we think we're doing for God's benefit. And that's when it all, you know, right. you know, the idea that they could murder the Son of God during Passover, <laughs> something, something got missed in translation, right? Uh, but what the Feast of Unleavened Bread reminds us is that our environment is filled with corruption. If we're not vigilant, it will get in. Okay. And if it does, it will spread. And we have to be vigilant over it. And so that's what happened in 1 Corinthians 5. There's a man who uh, married, I'm assuming, his stepmom. Did you ever see Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure? Yeah. yeah. You remember uh, Misty? Mm. I, I kind of have this vague <laughs> memory, yeah. Yeah. So Bill's, Bill's dad marries uh, this girl that was, that was Bill's upperclassman. She was like a, a two years ahead of him in high school, right? And so Bill is like, you know, he's... This girl wants him to call her mom, and you know, and yet he's uh, attracted to yeah. her, and so he's he's got a major Oedipal thing going on, and uh, uh, so here's that's what happened, right? So this guy um, he has his father's wife, we're told, and uh, he's in the church, and uh, Paul's like, man, you guys, this is not good. But the worst thing about it was was wasn't that the guy had done this, but that the the Corinthian Christians had. Um, kept him around so that they could talk about him behind his back, you know, and rather than confronting him, going through the pain of, of loving confrontation. They're just like, have you seen what that guy's doing? Oh my gosh. And, and what that does is that, that kind of gossip, it begins to create this power structure in the group again, because now while I'm gossiping with you about him, I wonder what conversations you're having about me with her. Mm-hmm. And now we begin to put on a front when we're together because I don't want you talking about me to her, mm-hmm. right? And so I'm not me with you and you're not you with me. All of a sudden, what we, the way we talk about him is beginning to poison what ought to be the one place where you meet someone 
authentically. Um, and so when he says, he says, your boasting is not good. It's there. What were they boasting about? They were boasting that they weren't like him. Okay. This idea that now this guy had set the baseline and they're like, well, at least I'm not like him. But this is right? like the Pharisee who prayed to God. I thank you that I'm not like that other guy. Right. Right. And he's saying that that's not good. Don't you know, a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough. I used to read this and think the guy was the yeast. And I mean, he does say, get rid of the old leaven, but He's not saying that guy, um, that that guy's not the leaven. The guy's sin's not the leaven. The leaven is their pride. And pride, remember we said that yeast, not only does it uh, operate invisibly and not only does it spread, but it makes something look bigger. I don't think we read the passage yet. Yeah. So um, where are we? Okay, so. I told you the background. First uh, Corinthians five six. Okay, your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast, so that you may be a new unleavened batch, as you really are. For Christ, our Passover Lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival, not with the old bread leavened with malice and wickedness but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. There you go. So this, this yeast is their boasting. Notice, he, notice what he calls the leaven. He doesn't say the leaven is sensuality or sexual immorality, loose morals. He, the leaven is malice and wickedness. I wonder if he's referring to both. It seems like malice is the pride and wickedness could be a reference to the sexual immorality. If in Possibly. Fact sexual immorality. Possibly, but, you know, and then he says, that, let's keep the, uh, with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So mm -hmm. this is, these are the values of this, this authenticity, honesty, mm -hmm. that is, that ought to be the underpinnings of our society, the culture of our shared society. Um, I tend to think of malice and wickedness as, more about this intent toward the other, toward the sinner, mm -hmm. you know, that is, it's a, more about attitude than actions. Um, and then at, because what is the unleavened is about attitude, <laughs> you know, it's about our posture, mm -hmm. our um, approach toward each other. But um, sincerity that, and truth. Yeah. So Paul would conceive of this interim between the death of Christ and his return um, as the Passover week. Um, and so that's what we're in. And, and what is good about it is because it's a communal thing um, and it is communal, it is a society that is free of corruption. Let us keep the festival. Yes. The, let us keep the festival is let us celebrate the Feast of Unleavened Bread right. that follows Passover. Right. So there's okay. an in gathering. There is this um, it's a it's a communal sort of a celebration. And yet it is one that is free of the social corruption that we've been talking about. And it is affected by the Passover lamb. And so um, now we have the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that whole Passover narrative and the ritual, select this one that is perfect, spotless, move him into the house 
for a period of time, sacrifice him. You know, he's God's lamb. Uh, prior to that, you know, uh, that was Kent's lamb and Nathan's lamb, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is God's lamb, and he's the one selected. Uh, he's the one who moved into the house with us. Um, and, and I think that's important that he, he's there for, you know, days and years are somewhat um, analogous in Scripture. Jesus is in the wilderness 40 days to represent the 40 years that Israel was in the wilderness, days and years, right? This idea of the, of the lamb being there for four days, and, you know, that could be any portion of a day. So Jesus being with us for 33 years, let's say, that's essentially four days, <laughs> you know, um, and uh, and there so that we can know him. You know, you read the Gospels. It's not just anybody who died, right? It's somebody who's innocent, perfect, um, and it it is that kind of a person. You know, had he died for his own sins, then that would have just been the way of the world living itself out. Had he died, you know, since he died as an innocent, he is defying the way of the world in every direction. That that makes this um, circumscribed cut, the this, this circumcision around the world's way. The cross becomes this razor-sharp scalpel. Um, and so there's, there's a lot of uh, interconnection there. But I guess what I would encourage all of us to do is two things. One... If you are a Christian, go back to your baptism and review it as your having been crucified with Christ and raised again. You you agreed to this. Um, And then recommit to live in a way that's in response to God by faith and not in a way that has to do with... um, a reaction to other people, whether it's to judge them and feel better than them, whether it's to um, try to curry favor with them, whether it's to try to um, strong arm them or coerce them in some way, you you died to that. That's the old way. That's the world. That's Egypt. And, you know, anything that's left of that is going to spread in your life and in your relationships. It's going to pollute the church. Let it go. Repent. Uh, If you're not a Christian, I I would say that um, that baptism is about, it's not something that you're checking a box and it's not that you can't be saved without it, but I think it's a wonderful way for us to agree to that, Mm -hmm. to agree to that circumcision. And it has to be voluntary. You know, we have to, we have to lay it down and it allows us to do that. But understand that it's not just some sort of a, a ritual. It's not something to just get out of the way. You don't get points for it. It's just simply agreeing that I'm going to die to the world and I'm going to rise to live my life with with a singular concern for God um, by faith. There you go. Mm. And now we celebrate the Passover. Let us keep the feast. Amen. Thanks, everyone, for listening. If you have questions, you can email us, discussion at recoverfaith.org. We'll see you next time. Ba-da, ba-da, ba-da.